Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. Hebrews 11 speaks to us about living with confidence. And so I want you to think in terms of, wow, there's things I have natural confidence in and there's things I have natural insecurities in. But today, God wants to speak to you about throwing away your confidence in self and gaining a fresh confidence in God. Because age to age, he is the same. He does not change. So, Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says this. Now, faith is what? Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And this, it says, is what the ancients were commended for. And so now you have the writer of Hebrews telling New Testament Christians, listen, if you live by faith, you can live with confidence. And he says, and I can teach you how to live with faith, how to live with confidence by looking at all these ancient people. The lessons from the dead and gone. A history of faith by those who learned confidence in God. Do you want to live a courageous life? I I just think we need a fresh dose of courage, right? We all have ideas. How many people have just been lost in ideas and illusions of grandeur in your life? You've thought of this, you're like, oh, wouldn't that be great? Or maybe you've had this really good idea for a patent that would have made you a million dollars, right? But then you thought, just thought of it. You never really did anything about it. I mean, some of us live our whole lives having great ideas, great thoughts, but we never really do anything about it. By the time the thought finishes, you forgot the beginning of it, and you just kind of carry on living the same life. That is the case with everyone listed in Hebrews 11. But there was a moment in time when God challenged them and says, Listen, I need you to now walk with courage. I need you to break out. I need you to see and trust me with eyes of faith, even though it seems impossible. Faith is confidence. Well, what is faith? Faith, synonym for faith, shout it out. What's your best synonym for faith? Trust, first answer. Yes, thank you. Believe. This idea of trusting, right? It's like if I, I, need, a, I need a chair. Man, could you give me a chair? Thanks. So the idea between belief and trust is very, very simple. Like if Manny, thanks Manny. If Manny brings me a chair, how many people believe this is a chair? I believe it. I could preach on this chair. I believe it. Chair it is. This is a four-legged chair with cushions. Dirty cushions. But I can believe all day long in this chair, but I do not have faith in this chair until I sit on it. Ladies and gentlemen, I now have faith in this chair. It will hold me from collapse. That's the difference between believing in God And having faith in God. If you have faith, if you trust in God, 
you believe he will keep you from collapse. And you know what? Once you learn how to sit on God's chair, you might actually start to stand on God's chair. Right? You might, be, you might start doing like Mr. Miyagi on God's chair. You, <laughs> how many people are nervous right now? Is there a doctor in the house? No, listen to me. This is how it is when you learn to have confidence in God. You begin to step out and trust him. And it's very different than trusting in yourself or a chair. Because God never changes. You know, I, 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 I did a wedding yesterday. Good wedding. Beautiful wedding. Frank and Jane. Man, it was, I had so much fun. I was just, I couldn't. I couldn't even find enough words. It's amazing you think that. I could not find enough words to explain and to pray how much I wanted God to bless them. I was just so happy for them. And in those happy occasions, I'm always wondering, like, because I run them through the vows, right? They're making vows. Frank was so funny. I was like, in the vows, there's like a punch list of like six things, and you're supposed to wait to the end and say, I will. I was like, Frank, do you take Jane? He's like, yeah. <laughs> to be, yeah, to be what, Yes. He was like, yes, all of them. I'm like, slow down, cowboy. We've got to get to the end here. He wouldn't. He was all over it. But you, you get to them, and there's this, this phrase in there, will you have this person to be your wife in the good times as well as the bad times, as long as you both show it. And on the wedding day, you're never thinking about the bad times. You're only thinking about the good times. You're just thinking about getting out of there and going on your honeymoon and starting your life together. I know, husbands and wives are looking at each other thinking, isn't it a shame we've never had any bad times? I wonder what that's like. No, but the reality is there are good times and there are bad times. And the idea that, that we trust God is we're making a vow to say, I know that God will see us through the good times, but I also know that God will see us through the bad times. Because they're going to happen. They're, they may be happening at this very moment. And you need to just sit in the chair. And say, God, I'm, 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 I know what I'm feeling right now, but I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to throw away my confidence. So let's take a few lessons from the ancients. Are you ready for a couple lessons? I, there's a lot of lessons in here, but I'm only going to do a couple because you all about to enter into a food coma. You need a nap. Lessons from the ancients. First one here in verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Listen to this. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Hold on a second. By faith, we believe that everything that's ever been made was made out of God's command, right? I go back to Genesis. We could read Genesis 1. God said, let there be light, and there was. God said, let there be land, and there was. God said, let there be fishes, and there was. God said, let there be hippos, and there was. So everything we know, everything in the material world, everything, even plastic, which was not in the original creation anywhere, by the way. That's part of our you know, kingdom call to cultivate the earth, we made plastic. Everything that was 
ever been made was made out of that which is invisible. God's invisible power created everything. This is, this is what it means. So that what you see in life, yourself, people around you, the things, circumstances, your bank account, it's not all there is to life. That the invisible world of God's power exists not only present with us, but it's the very thing that holds together the world in which we live. The natural world is not all that there is here. And so we live our lives like, oh, does my hair look okay today? Thinking about the natural world. We live our lives, you know, is my car going to start? Or do I have a nicer car? Or, or are, we live our lives with, do I have the right clothes or the right... Uh, we're so consumed by what we can see that sometimes we're virtually completely unaware of the invisible world that God is working in all around us. By faith, we know that what was made was made by that which was invisible. So that even today, God is working beyond the physical things we can see. I mean, besides the fact that that just helps us, lifts our eyes, lifts our minds, saying, you know what? God is doing more than what we see on the news. God is doing more than what's happening at work. God is doing more than what you just see in your home as well. And there's incredible hope in that. Because there are many circumstances that are not as you would want them to be. But you can say, you know what? By faith, I believe there's more at play right now than what I can see right in front of me. Some of you may have children that aren't walking with the Lord and you don't know what's going on with them. You can say, by faith, I believe there's more going on right now than what we see. You could say, if you're sick in your body or your health, say, you know what, Lord? There is more that's going on right now than what I can see. Besides just the raw ability to say, Lord, there's more going on here. I am not going to just think and succumb to physical circumstances. I believe. I trust. I, I'm standing confidently. I am not throwing away my confidence, even though things look difficult. Moses stood against the sea and the Egyptians behind him. What was going on? Well, he was trapped. No, there was more going on than what he could see. Gideon went to fight a battle, a large army with all of his men, and the Lord whittled it down to just a few. Why? Because there was more going on than what he could see. We live our lives and we make our decisions based on what we can see instead of what we believe and trust God for. Not only that, we miss a thousand opportunities every day. Imagine, for instance, Philip, the early disciple, right? He's looking around. He's like, okay, there's a there's a sale at the flower store, and there's some mutton over there that they're selling cheap. And, and oh, my goodness, I cannot believe the price of eggs. And, oh, there's a cherry with an Ethiopian in it, okay? And, there's, and all he's doing is just looking around. It's a bright, sunny day. And suddenly the Lord says, Philip, go stand by that chariot. And Philip's like, that's creepy, Lord. 
I'm not, no, go stand by that chariot. So he goes and he stands by the chariot, right? You remember this story? Yeah. Welcome back to Sunday school. Philip standing by the Ethiopian, right? It's like, why am I doing it? It's just a chariot, it's just a man. God's like, no. Don't judge the world. Don't make your decisions just on what you can see. So he's like, okay. Hi, how's it going? Just standing here. Enjoy your chariot. And suddenly he begins to hear the Ethiopian reading out of Isaiah. He was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that he bore in his body brought redemption. God's people. And suddenly Philip's like, oh my goodness. And he looks up at the Ethiopian. Oh, sorry, the chariot's over here. And he says, do you know what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how could I possibly know what I'm reading unless someone explains it to me? Why don't you come up and explain it to me? So Philip's like, oh, that's a good idea. Never thought of that. And so now I'm going to use the chair again. He gets back. I'm loving this chair up here, by the way. He gets up into the chariot, and he explains that Isaiah was prophesying of the Messiah who would bear the sins of all mankind upon his own body, and that the sacrificial lamb of God was crucified on a cross. But he rose again on the third day to bring redemption and life. And that Ethiopian believed the gospel. As a matter of fact, so much though, he's like, whoa, stop the horses. Here's some water. Let's get baptized. And that Ethiopian, who was in the Middle East at that time, brought the gospel to Africa. Can you imagine if Philip only saw, only believed and made decisions on what he saw with his eyes? He would have never stood by the chariot. Of course he would not. But God is doing more than what we can just see with our natural eyes. By faith, we believe that all that was created was created by that which is unseen. Therefore, the unseen in our world is still what we must believe and have tuned our hearts into so that we can hear God's voice and speak to Ethiopians, bring the gospel to parts unknown, maybe even your neighbor. Jesus was walking to Jerusalem. He had announced his plan to turn himself over and be crucified, the whole redemption story. And there was a man at the side of the road as he walked through Jericho. Jericho was a big city, and there's a lot of people that lined up. It was this giant parade, and Jesus was at the center of this parade, and people were chanting and cheering, and here's the great miracle worker from Galilee. He's going down to Jerusalem, and people were there. The disciples were getting there. Everyone was like, oh, what's the big buzz? What's the big buzz? And everybody was following him like, oh, wow, this is a big deal. And there was this poor, pathetic, blind beggar standing on the side of the road, way over on the side of the road. And he can't get close. And so he raises his voice. He yells out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I'm over here. I'm in the cheap seats. They won't let me get close. <laughs> Preach. Preach, kid. And everybody around him is like, dude, you need to shut your mouth. You blind beggar. You don't matter. Just be quiet. Jesus doesn't want anything to do with you. And they push him down, and they, they start intimidating him and telling him, shut up. Because in the physical world, all they saw was an important person marching through town. And Jesus stops. He says, whoa, time out. 
hold your horses. Literally, hold the horses. And he calls to that guy. And he says, who are you? Bartimaeus. Hi, Bartimaeus. I'm Jesus passing through town right now. What's up? What would you like from me? And Bartimaeus simply says, Jesus, I would like to see. I just like to catch up with everybody else. I don't need to be rich. I don't need to. I, don't, I just want to be able to see. And everyone else is seeing an important person walking through town. But Jesus sees into the unseen world of his father's heart. And he sees the VIP standing over in the corner with all his friends telling him to be quiet. And Jesus shows the value and the love, the dignity of the marginalized in this world. Even though they don't seem important, even though they don't seem like you can get anything from them, they don't seem like they should be at the center of the show, Jesus says, you're the center of my show, man. I'm here. I'm listening. What can I do for you? If you only pay attention to that which is seen, you will miss a thousand opportunities. I got more of those examples, but I'm going to carry on. I'm going to end with this one. This is a good one. Verse 4. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks today, even though he's what? So, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering. Remember this. We're talking about faith is confidence. That how can we gain confidence courage, not just think of things or have ideas, but begin to step out and walk in ways that really matter in this world, that honor God, that serve your brother and sister, that make an eternal impact. That we're not just playing church, we're not just trying to feel better about ourselves, but we're doing eternal kingdom work together. We have confidence that God can do anything. It's this. Abel brought a better sacrifice. So the story of Cain and Abel, right? You know the story? How many people know the story? It's a, it's a tragic story. It's epically tragic. Because here is Abel and his older brother Cain. And the two of them have their responsibilities. Abel looks after the sheep. Cain brings up the crops. And so they know that life in the world that God made, we, that we, have to, we honor God. That there's something about the creative order and who we are that it's right for us to bring worship and honor to God, that we bring an offering to him. Now understand this. Romans 12 says that because of God's mercy, we live our whole lives as a living sacrifice. Our life is an act or an offering to God. So we're not just talking about sheep and crops. And so Abel brought this offering, the very best of what he had. And he brings it and he gives it to God. And God accepts it. You know the story. Cain brought a different offering. It was not the best of what he had. It's okay for it to be different, but it's got to be your best. And Cain brought this offering to God. It was not his best. And God did not accept Cain's offering. And God even explained it to him. says, Cain, don't you know that if you do what's right, you'll be accepted, you'll be blessed? If you give your best whatever that might be, I'll accept that. 
If you come to me with a whole heart and you come to me with who you are, God says, I will accept that offering and I will bless that offering. But you bring me less than your best. You bring me half-hearted, half-baked, no good offering. The leftovers of your life, so to speak. He says, I'm not going to accept that. And here's the principle. Hear me on this. Bringing, not bringing your best to God brings out the worst in you. Not bringing your best to God, you think, well, you know what, I don't, I don't have time for God, I don't have time for that, so I don't, I'm not going to give my best, I'm going to give my leftovers. What that does is that not only dishonors the Lord, but the Lord doesn't need your crops, he doesn't need your sheep, he, you know, he, he, he wants you, he loves you. And he wants a right relationship with you. The offering is just a means of connecting with God. But you, you bring less than your best to God, and suddenly that puts you at a crossroad. Right? That forces you at a crossroad that will bring out the worst in you. Now, if you're at that crossroad, and you, you're like, oh, you know what, Lord? Gosh, I realize it. I did not bring you my best. And you're right. I should have brought you my best. You know, my little brother, he gave you your best. Lord, I'm going to go talk to my little brother. I'm going to ask my little brother to teach me how do I give God my best. We don't do that. When's the last time you asked your little brother for advice? You're the big brother. You should know better. So pride takes over. We get defensive. Cain starts thinking, what, who is God to tell me my offering wasn't good enough? How come that's not good enough? What, what does he want from me? I gave him something. And, and suddenly, it begins bringing the worst out of and instead of humbling ourselves and repenting, no, our heart's tendency is to say, God, just treat me wrong, and I'm just going to forget him anyways, and I'm going to take my life in my own direction. And that's exactly what Cain did. Instead of saying, you know what, Lord, I didn't bring you my best. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I'm going to repent from that, and I'm going to bring you my best. I'm going to do my best, Lord. Just like my little brother. Nope. Cain invited his brother out for a walk in the field. And Abel said, sure, I'll go with you. And there in the field, Cain killed his brother. So instead of honoring his brother and lifting up his example and following his example, his reaction was to destroy the competition. Listen, this is how people live lives. They feel like they're not reaching the mark, they're not... They're not where they need to be in God. And so their reaction isn't to say, oh boy, I really need to be where I need to be in God. Their reaction is to say, I'm going to tear down that person. I'm going to tear down that person. I'm going to discredit that person. Brings out the worst in us. Listen, when you're bringing your best, whatever that is, whatever that is in your moment, a financial offering, when we give to God, he's not trying to compare it to people. The little widow who had nothing. She gave two pennies. And Jesus said, she'll be talked about everywhere we go. It's incredible what she gave. Well, what about the guy that just gave thousands of pennies? Why isn't he talked about? Because God doesn't, he's not fussed about that. He's, he's interested in you giving your best wherever you have, wherever you're at. Say, Lord, here's my offering. This is all I have right now. Some of you, when you sing, I know, you're just giving your best. It's all you got. 
Bible calls it a joyful noise. I remember there's an old guy in this church many years ago when I first started coming when I was a teenager. And he, he was, he didn't look like a lot physically. He was old. He was worn out. You know, he had, I don't know how old he was. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. But when the music started, he started doing this. And he was dancing before the Lord. I'm like, man, when he gets home, he's going to sleep for three days. Because there's no way that old guy has that much energy. I don't know. Maybe he did. But the bottom line is he got before the Lord and he brought his best to God. Worship is more than this room, but this room is definitely worship. What you do in your home and what you do in your car and what you do in your office, what you do in your school, it's all worship. Not giving God your best brings out the worst in you. But when you do bring God your best, whatever it is, even if it's like the widow with the two little pennies, and you give it to God, listen to me, you can live life with such confidence. You never have to doubt or wonder if God's for you. You never have to ask the question, is God going to be going in front of me, making a way for me? You never have to wonder, if I step out in faith, if I begin to to go for it, is God going to meet me there? You'll never have to wonder that. You can do it with complete and incredible confidence because you know that you left it all before God, and God's going to give it all all that he has back to you. You give God a lazy offering, the fruit of your life will be Canaan style. You give God the best of your offering and you see what God will do through your life. You can walk through life with great confidence because you know that God is with you because he's got your heart. So many good things still to say. So little time. We'll continue this another But I'd like to just ask you if you're at a moment where you can trust God with a new thing. Are you at a moment where you can can say, you know what, I want to live with new confidence. And maybe today I only got through the first two points. It means this. Recognize that God is doing more than what I can see. Therefore, I'm going to trust him in whatever he's doing. And I'm going to step out in faith even if it means funny things. I was thinking about that funny story about the lady who, who um, didn't have any money and she was about to die and starve to death. And the, Lord, the prophet told her, go and get a bunch of jars and collect them from your neighbors. You remember that story? The widow from where? Where was she from? Therapath. Thank you, Mom. And she, she, so she runs around. Imagine this poor old woman, emaciated from hunger. She's about to die and she's going house to house asking God for jars, or asking the neighbors for jars. And they're all like, she has lost her mind. And then, remember, it's an incredible story. So she's a little bit of oil, and she begins to pour. And she fills every jar, every jar, and it never runs out until she runs out of jars, right? Okay, we hear that story, we're like, oh, good for her. She's rich now. She's got enough to live her whole life and take care of her son, because she's got all this oil. But the moment the Lord, the prophet spoke to her and says, go get some jars, she had to do something that sounded so dumb, so ignorant, that she had to be the laughingstock of her neighborhood. Why is she running around getting these jars? What does she think she's doing? Sometimes when you believe God is moving beyond what we can see, then it looks kind of ridiculous doing the things in the visible world. 
We call that stepping out in faith. And I think you need to find a way to step out in faith, even if it means it's going to look a little bit silly, a little bit dumb, a little bit raise the eyebrows by the neighbors. When you start looking through the scriptures of what people did to obey the Lord, it all looks a little bit ridiculous until the story's over. Think of Jonathan when he, with his armor bearer when he went up and went to fight the, the Philistines. On paper, it looks absolutely ridiculous until God gave them the victory. What's your ridiculous move that you can do with confidence and say, I believe God's moving. I believe God's doing something. Don't be ridiculous just to be ridiculous. But hear what God's saying. Don't throw away your confidence. It's time to step out in faith. Amen? Stand with me and let's pray. I'd like to invite the elders to the front. We're going to serve communion. If you guys would take the communion baskets. We're going to end with communion today. So come on up, guys. Todd, Pam, Jay, Paige, Andy, Michelle, Dad, and Joyce. As, um, yeah, just, just kind of set up in front, set up in front. We're going to do formation C, which is chaos, which means you guys can come out of your seats, grab the elements, the cup and the, the bread, and then just go back to your seats and find some people and just take a minute and pray together. If you're not here with anybody right now, so you don't have a group, I invite you to join any group that you would like to join. Just step up and say, Pastor Dave invited me to your group, and you'll be welcome there. If you're not a Christian today, I, I, I would suggest to you that you would come to me and you receive Christ first, and then you can have communion. This is a table for those who are following Christ. But as you take it, and as we dismiss, I want you to think about something. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread, and he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body that was broken for you. In the same way, he took the cup, and he said, this is the blood of my new covenant through the forgiveness of sins. Understand, at that moment, his disciples, the people sitting at that table, were mad because they'd just been betrayed by Judas. They were terrified because Jesus said he's about to die and go away. They were confused because they didn't know that they could handle what was about to happen. They were insecure because they, they, they didn't know what the future held. And they just had to listen to Jesus, follow his instruction, and say, my body is for you. My blood is for you. He gave us his table so that we would know that no matter where we went or what we did or what age or place we lived, he'd be present with us. And so as you take this, I want you to take the bread and take the cup and say, Lord, you're with me. I want confidence. I want to trust you. Faith is confidence. But help me to believe and open my eyes. Let me live by faith. With courage. Not just thinking and wishing I could do something someday. But maybe this would be the moment you step out. <coughs> so Father, this is our prayer. I thank you for this good church. The good work you're doing here. Among these good people. 
Thank you for your word, your good word. And now, Lord, do a good new work in us, even as we put our trust in you. Help us to move with great confidence because, Lord, you're at work more than we can see. And that we know that if we bring you our right offering, a good offering, Lord, you'll be out in front of us. And we'll get to see great things happen. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.